I'll tell you what, that worship service wasn't too bad, was it, huh? Wow, man. I feel like we ought to just go on home right now. I mean, that's as good as it gets. We ain't leaving, okay? We ain't leaving yet. I'll put some work into this thing. So, man, it is hard to believe. I mean, just think about this, that the temperature outside right now feels about 70 degrees better than it did two weeks ago. Isn't that crazy? Just two weeks ago, that demonic force of Canadian air came down on us. And uh, I'll tell you the bad part about that, and I'm still a little peeved about it, to tell you the truth, is that that whole thing caused us to cancel two of our four Christmas services that we had planned. And I'm just still kind of ticked off about that a little bit. Now, the two we had were great, but uh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, it was a major, major bummer that we didn't get to do for the whole week what we had planned. And uh, total honesty here, it did a little Scrooge action to me, okay? I just was kind of bummed out about the whole thing. And, and Christmas nowadays is our new Easter. It really is for churches around the world. And so for us to kind of have half of that cut out, that was just kind of a kick in the gut. And I guess we gotta, we gotta wait till next Christmas a little bit. Now what you might not have heard about is that when all that happened a couple weeks ago, we had a couple pipes that bursted in our facility. And I know a lot of you had it in your homes and businesses and other churches. And we had a couple of those happen right here. And one of those got cleaned up, wasn't too bad of a deal. But one of those caused extreme damage to our facility. It happened back in our office uh, complex area, and we still today have major damage on the wall right behind you uh, because a pipe bursted sometime on Christmas Day or Christmas night here. Uh, we have lost some of our offices. Uh, some of our staff have been relocated because they don't have an office anymore. Uh, one of those people is our shepherding pastor, uh, John Talbot. And so John lost his office. It just kind of all needs to be redone. We've got all his stuff uh, boxed up, all his books, all his materials. They're in another place in the building, all like he's moving somewhere, like he's taking off. And, uh, and John preached last week. John was here preaching last week, and I, just kind of a side note, that in, in all the years I've known John, that is the best sermon I've ever heard him preach. It was off the charts, incredible. But he did that with no office, no books, no study material. I think he just made all that stuff up when he came up here, and it was just incredible. And another office that was affected was mine. And so just like John, I don't have an office right now. All my library, all my study material, all the things I use for my job, they're all boxed up somewhere uh, next to John's. Now, have you learned in life yet? Because if you haven't, you got a lesson coming. Have you ever learned that God sometimes just wants to mess with you. Have, you. have you learned that yet in your life, okay? And I don't mean from that. Don't, mis, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean from that that he likes to bring trouble and, and hurt and mess. I don't mean that at all. But I do think there are times in which God just kind of sits back and wonders how you going to deal when life comes at you. And I think he just kind of messes with you a little bit. And so here I am today, no office, no books, no material, have no idea how to work, and God has sent me here to preach a sermon on anxiety. 
I gotta preach on anxiety in the middle of that. I am scared to death about next week's sermon. It's on depression. I don't know what's gonna happen this week. So I went ahead and changed the title next week. We're gonna have a totally different sermon. Here, here's the title next week. How to have great health, a happy marriage, obedient children, devoted friends, a fulfilling job, and all the money in the world. That's what we're gonna talk about next week and see what God does about that. So is it okay with you? Really, is it okay with you that I'm gonna preach about anxiety and I'm a little anxious? Is that all right with you? Because the minute that you think whoever is up here teaching at Eastside Christian Church has it all figured out is the minute you've been grossly fooled. So I'm, I'm a struggler with you in the sense of anxiety and that's probably been a good thing for me. I think it's been a good thing for me because in the midst of all of that and the study and research that I've been able to do, I have found out that God has provided some ways to help with this. We're, we're in this study called Emotionally da Drained, and what we mean from that is that there are times in our lives, all of us, where we face emotional challenges. Okay, everybody's gonna go through those. And, in, and instead of having those things hit you and wallow through them in, in a defeatist spirit, in, instead of doing that, we, we thought we would take some time and say, does God have some things to teach about those times of challenge, of remedies to where we can deal with that? And so last week we started with shame and guilt. And, and I, I mean this, I'm not just blowing this, I'm serious about this. John talked about the shame and guilt and struggle of past mistakes and past failures. And if you didn't ever, if you didn't hear that, I don't know what you got going on this weekend, but you gotta find 35, 40 minutes to listen to that. You gotta find it. It was incredible teaching for a church. And so in the coming weeks, we're gonna talk about depression, and we're gonna talk about anger, and we're talking about grief when somebody you love dies. But today, right here, it's anxiety. And how in the world do the people of God deal with anxiety? One professional who works in that field told me when I sat with him recently is that we are now at epidemic status when it comes to anxiety in our country. Never in the history of our country have more people dealt with the challenges, the emotional challenges of being anxious about something. You can't even define it. It's hard even to put a definition to anxiety. Is it stress? Is it worry? Is it fear? Is it pressure? It's, it's probably all of those things. It can come on suddenly, and sometimes it builds over time. Sometimes it can be due to a minor inconvenience, something like not having an office for a while. And other times it can show up during regular events of life when you've got a thousand things on your plate. Sometimes it surfaces when life-altering tragedies occur. Sometimes it stems from things in the past. Sometimes it happens because of what's happening right now. There are times when it happens because of fear of what's going to happen in the future, and those things don't ever even happen. For some people, they don't even need a reason for it. They got it in their blood. They wake up anxious. They go to bed anxious. Have I described anybody in the room yet? And when it happens, you, you might find out what a racing mind is might. 
You might, you might feel a pounding heart. You might have exhaustion. You might be irritable. You might have depression. In extreme cases, sometimes it leads to panic attacks where you honestly think you're going to die on the spot. And so how do you deal with anxiety? What in the world does that mean? I found it fascinating when I looked at how the Bible talks about it, that the Bible spends more time on anxiety than I ever knew about. I had no idea it word that many times it talks about that issue. And it uses different words to describe what anxiety is in our life, but it has one word that it's primary word in the New Testament. It's used multiple times throughout the Bible, and whenever the Bible, through the voice of God, wants to talk about what it's like to be stressed and anxious and worried and fearful, it often chooses this one word. And I, I studied that word this week, and I found it fascinating. It's pronounced merimanao, and that means nothing at all, just pronounced that way. And what it means, used various times in the Bible, it means to be divided. Now listen to this very carefully, because it's going to rock you a little bit. It means that as, as opposite of something that is whole, it's something that is now divided. Think if we had a, a big mirror here or a big piece of glass, a, a great big whole piece of glass in the mirror, and, and we dropped it and it broke into all kinds of different pieces. Have you ever used this language when you're talking about being stressed? Or any, have you ever said this, I, 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 I just feel like I'm falling to pieces? That's the word. That's the biblical word. And coming to these points in our life where we just feel like, man, we're just falling apart. We're, we're falling into pieces. And the Bible has some things to say about that. And so I want you to start with a couple verses that are somewhat foundational. And then we're going to get into some business here. And I, I really believe that when you walk out of here that you're going you're to take some things with you. If you ever deal with anxiety, that can really make a difference. But it kind of starts with a couple of verses that I want you to see. And one of those, John used last week. He introduced the series with it. And the more I thought about that after he talked about it, I said, man, we ought to talk about that probably every week in this series, no matter what emotional challenge we're talking about. But John 10.10, 10, it's important that it was written by John, the words of Jesus. So John is just quoting Jesus when he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so the heartbeat of Jesus is that your life is good. If God could say, I want one thing for you, he wants you to have the best life that you can possibly have on this life. Now watch this. Anxiety robs that from you. It steals the life that God desires for you because his heart is that life is good. Now I want you to take that verse and I want you to look at another foundational verse along with it also written by John a little bit later in the 16th chapter, also quoting Jesus. Jesus, who the one who said, I want life to be as good as life can be for you. He also said a few chapters later, in this world, you will have trouble. And so the objective of living a good life is not that we want to avoid trouble. You're never going to avoid trouble. As long as you're on this earth, trouble will be a part of what it's like to be living on this earth. It'll never happen that you don't have trouble. The only way not to have trouble is to be in heaven. If you're here, you're going to have trouble. 
And so you take those two verses together. They're foundational. Jesus said, I want your life to be great, but you're going to have trouble. And so it ends up with this primary driving point that I want you to see. And this is what I want you to take home with you, and it's this concept. Let's look at it. You can't avoid all reasons for anxiety. You can't. You never will. But you can learn to manage them. Manage them in order to have the good life that God wants for you. And so just because you get anxious doesn't mean you can't have a great life. You can have a great life. You just got to know how to manage it, how to deal with it, how to get through it. And so there's some very practical things that will help you. If you studied about this, and I found that out this week. I, I don't know that I was really aware of that. You can study anxiety. You can study stress. You can study all of that, all of that material out there. And you can find all kinds of things that people say, do this and do this and do this. And those practical things really do work. You can sit down with a therapist and they can talk to you about some of these things. I, I made a list of them. Um, healthy diet and exercise. Don't you hate it when they bring that up, okay? But that'll help. Eliminate caffeine. Sorry about that, okay? Any coffee lovers here? Sufficient sleep. Decluttering a too busy life. That's a problem some of us have. You got five things on your plate, you ought to have two, okay? Uh, writing out a plan of action. How are you going to tackle the problems you're dealing with? There's all these practical things that you can read about that these are the ways you handle anxiety. But I am not here to tell you those things. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I am a Bible teacher. And so I approached it with that concept, not only for me personally, but also for our flock here at Eastside. When we get anxious, what does the Bible tell us to do? How does the Bible say, here's how you can manage it? Here's how you can do that. And what I found out is the Bible is exhaustive with it. I had no idea all the stuff in the Bible about anxiety. To be fair, we probably ought to have a series about it, not just a 30, 40-minute shot at it. But we're going to try to wrap it up and give you some things you can take out of here. I'm going to show you just some, just some general things the Bible talks about in multiple places about anxiety. Here's one of the things I think is really, do not be afraid. Now watch this. That command right there is listed 365 times in the Bible. Does that rock anybody? One for every day of the year, it's in the Bible. Now, I didn't count them, okay? I didn't take the time to do that, but I found the idea that it's in 365 times. I found that in three scholarly works that I was reading. All three, so I'm just gonna take their, their word for it. It's incredible how many times the Bible talks about this. The Bible also says this. Check this one out. Do not worry. Don't worry. In fact, that phrase right there was said by the lips of Jesus, and he said it three times, three times in one setting. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Three times. He just said, did you hear me? Don't worry. I think it's the hardest verse in the whole Bible to obey, right there. Anybody here? Never worry, okay? But here's the power of this. I love this. That word worry right there, that's the word I was telling you about. That's the word Mary Manao. That's the word of something that is whole breaks into pieces. Here's what Jesus said three times. Don't fall to pieces. Don't fall to pieces. Don't fall to pieces. 
It was a powerful thing that Jesus talked about. And then Paul got in the action. Paul wrote this, and I love the way he put it. Do not be anxious about anything. (laughs) Can I just pick one thing? No, nothing. You can't be anxious about anything. And the power when the apostle Paul wrote this, and this needs to get down and mess with you a little bit, is that he wrote this when he was in jail. And the jail he was in was at a time where he wasn't sure what was going to happen to him. And he said earlier in that letter, they may kill me, they may let me go. I don't know. They're thinking about it. We haven't heard yet. And in the midst of being in jail, not sure what's going to happen to you, he said this. Now, don't be anxious about anything at all. (laughs) Seriously? Really? And so would you do something with me? Would you take this phrase right here and just understand how ridiculous that phrase is for a prisoner to say that who might be executed? And I want you to chase this rabbit for me. And I want you to look at this and ask yourself, how in the world could Paul say that? Really, how could he say that? And so if you take what he said there and you find it in the fourth chapter of Philippians, at the end of this letter, while he's in prison, and you find that phrase, do not be anxious about anything, and you will see that it's part of a larger paragraph. And I want to read the paragraph to you. And what I'm going to show you is that he puts in that paragraph what I call anxiety management tools. That if you do these things, you will be able to manage anxiety. And so I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to show you those tools. And I'm going to tell you that you're going to listen to something. I'm going to show you four of them. We're going to be pretty quick with them. And if you're an anxious person at all, or if you've got an event in your life that's causing you anxiety right now, I'm telling you, one, two, or three of those is probably going to apply to you. If four of them apply to you, Go find somebody to talk to, okay? But you're going to say, man, that's going to help me. So let me read what he wrote. And I just want you to hear it, okay? And then I'm going to pull some things out here. Here's how he starts. Remember, where's he at? Somebody tell me. Where's he at? Jail. And I don't know if his mind's gone or what. And he starts like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Dude, you're in jail. And then he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident at all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that means you'll never be able to comprehend it, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those. Now, here's what I want to do, is I want to jump into this, and I want to be a a kind of a Bible teacher here with us. And I want to say that kind of all of us together, we're, we're kind of gathered here and we're dealing with some anxiety stuff in our lives, some challenges, and we want to say to God, okay, God, I know you want me to have a good life, okay? 
and none of that stuff's going to leave, so I want to have a good life. So how do I manage it? How do I deal with it? And the apostle Paul, sitting in a prison, says, I got some tools for you. And one of the tools, I want to show them all to you, but one of the tools I want you to kind of play with is this tool right here. It's the first one, and that is to learn to identify the positives. Now, I don't know how to tell you how important this is, but if you were looking at your Bible or you remembered what I read, it is unusual that in the midst of being in jail and dealing with anxiety, that he overemphasizes things to be positive about. He talks about rejoicing. And just in case nobody heard it, he says, I want to say it again, rejoice. And then he said, now when you pray, be thankful. And then at the end of it, he said, train your mind only to think of things that are going to build you up and not knock you down. So what's all that saying? What's all that saying together? What it all is saying together is coming together to suggest that when things are negative around you, when things get you in a tizzle, when you feel like you're falling to pieces, force yourself to find the positive. Force yourself to do that. I, I, I did quite a bit of reading on this, and much of my reading was how, how do you help people who are in moments of anxiety? So if you had a friend or were married to somebody who was just stressing out, what do you say to help them? And so there's all kinds of material out there about that, and I did a lot of reading on that, and almost every bit of material that I read from good sources, almost everyone said, Train the person to identify the positives. Get them thinking about that. We had a single mother in our church recently who had shared her fear of how she was gonna be able to take care of her little children when her job was coming to an end. And that was a big deal to her. I mean, I don't care who you are or where you come from, if you're solely responsible for young children, you're not having income, that is reason to be concerned. And she talked about that and her fear, but as she talks with some of our staff about that, she explained it with a joyful spirit. Man, look at these beautiful kids God has given me, and I'm so honored to have them, and I got this great church in my life, and she shared her fear in the midst of being positive. So I, I took that this week, and I said, okay, that just sounds too simple for me. It just sounds too silly, okay? Somebody just really stressed out, just say, well, find the positive, you know, look at, what do they say, find a silver clouding uh, around the line, you know, around the cloud, and it just sounds so simple, so I started thinking about that, and I wrote down on a piece of paper some times in my life where I felt my anxiety was kind of high, and certain things going on, and I was stressing out about something, and I just wrote them down, and I tried to remember those times, and my mind went back, and I tried to th think through that, and how I got through that, and I started noticing that when things started to get better, when the anxiety started to go down a little bit, the reason for it was because I started focusing on positives. And so here's what I wanna challenge you to do this. If you're right now in a moment of anxiety, I wanna challenge you to do this when you lay your head 
on the pillow tonight. I want to challenge you to do this. Unless you're one of those people that you put your head, your pillow, your head on pillow and you're out in three seconds, okay? Those, those are evil, evil, evil people, okay? The rest of us don't have. But I want you to lay down and I want you to think and make yourself identify what's the positives right now? What's the positives going on right now? And you think about whatever the positives are and watch what happens to your anxiety level. The Bible talked about that. Paul said, identify the positives. Now, let me show you another one, and you're probably not going to like the second one because the second one gets up under your grill a little bit, okay? Let me show you the second anxiety management tool, and that is to eliminate the attacks, okay? Eliminate the attacks. Now, here you're going to know what this is when I jump into it, but if you went back to the text and we look at it, and this happens in the Bible every once in a while, if you're reading it carefully, you're reading about something, and then something just kind of pops out, and you're like, well, that doesn't even fit there. Why do you even say that? So here we got this passage about anxiety, okay? Dude is in jail and might die. And he's talking about anxiety. And then you got this verse that, I mean, it doesn't even fit. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It's like they, they put that there, and it was supposed to be in another chapter somewhere. He's not talking about gentleness. He's talking about anxiety. Man, I'm going to die. Why does it say, let your gentleness be evident to all? So let me say this. Don't miss it. Do not miss it because it's going to apply to some of y'all, and you ain't going to like it, but you're going to hear it. Watch this. Sometimes in seasons of anxiety, it is very easy to take out your frustrations on the people around you. Sometimes anxiety wells up so much that you attack the people around you. They may have nothing at all to do with your situation at all. They just got in the way, and you let them have it. And some of you married people right now are looking straight at me saying, I hope he's listening right now, because you know what I'm talking about. A number of years ago, Susan and I were leading a Bible study, and we had a few people in our, our study and they were going through this study, and I happened to look over at my wife who was sitting next to me, and I noticed that there was something wrong. And uh, I noticed there were some tears coming out of her eyes, and they weren't tears of sadness, okay? After you're married for a while, you kind of know what's going on just looking at each other. And I knew they were, they, were, they were tears of some kind of physical pain. And I just kind of looked at her for a minute, and then she started slumping over, and then everybody else kind of noticed what was going on, and then she actually started crying, and, and we knew something really bad was happening, and she wasn't able really to communicate what was happening about it. She was just freaking out and I was freaking out, and everybody was freaking out, and, and the end of the story, just so you know, wasn't that big a deal. She was having a major, for the very first time, uh, kidney stone attack. She'd never had it. We didn't know what it was. We had no idea. I've never had one, thank God. Probably have one tonight after I said that, but some of y'all know what it's like, and I guess it's just awful, 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 and when it was over with, she said, I've had three children. I'll have 10 more before I have one more kidney stone, and so she 
she was just, she was just a mess. And so we got her in a car and I drove like a bat out of Boston to the hospital downtown to Norton Hospital. And all the way, man, she's getting worse and she's screaming and crying. And I pull into the ER room and I pick her up. I pick her up and I'm running into the emergency room with my wife. She's screaming. She's been over. I'm scared to death. I walk in and, and there's that lady, you know, that triage lady behind the nurse. And she's kind of waving me this way. And I go over there. I'm holding my wife and she's crying. And this lady goes, name? And I said, Dave Hastings. And this lady said, it's nice to meet you, Dave. I met her. And Susan said, Susan Hastings, she's belly, you know, just terrible. I'm holding her off, scared to death. And the lady said, address? And I yelled my address at her real quick. And then she looked at Susan and said, do you have your driver's license with you? And I just lost my mind at that point, okay? And I looked at her, I'm holding my wife. And I said, lady, I don't know how you got your job, but she's dying and we need a doctor. And here's what this lady did. She's sitting, she didn't bat an eye. And she just looked at me and she went, you sit right there and don't talk. And I walked over like a little pup and sat down. And when it was all over with, wee hours of the night, I went and hunted her down. And I said, I'm so sorry. That's not who I am. And she said, don't you apologize. She said, we do this for a living. We knew what was going on when she came in. We had a good idea what was happening. And she said to me, she said, we get everybody's frustrations to be given to us. Because that's what anxiety does. Anxiety sometimes can rally up irritability in us and we end up snapping at people around us. Now, if I went back to that setting and asked myself, after I laid into her like I did, did my anxiety lessen? No. In fact, when she ordered me to the chair, my anxiety got worse. And God knows about that. And so God gives us a warning in the midst of anxiety Make sure that you eliminate attacks. And I know I'm, I'm right now, I'm, I'm probably going to be dealing with some people who are in the middle of that right now, and you know that, and you've been attacking everybody around you because you're anxious, and you've been making their life miserable and their life miserable, and they don't have anything to do with what you're going through at all, and you've got to eliminate that. And you've got to say, that's not how I'm going to respond to that. I'm going, I'm going to find out what the positives are. And then I'm, I'm going to eliminate this attacking thing. That's not helping. That's only making things worse. And then there's another tool that comes up in the study. And that's anxiety management tool number three. And that is to verbalize the request. And if you go back to that text, again, the heart of it, a man in jail is saying, don't be anxious. The heart of what he's saying here is simply to take what you have going on in your life and tell God about it. Pray to God. It's right there. Petition God. Give God your request. That's the whole point of that chapter. One of my friends has spent much of his life, um, a dear friend of mine, helping people who go through emotional challenges of, of, their, of their life. And so he spent his whole career doing that. 
And so I asked for a little bit of time as I prepared this message, and we sat down together uh, two or three weeks ago, and I was talking about this, and I said, okay, so when you, we've had people come to you and they've talked about anxiety issues in their life, what do you tell them? I mean, what is your counsel to them? What do you say to somebody who's going through anxiety? And this is a guy that's done this his whole life. He's incredibly, incredibly good and gifted at what he does. And he said to them, here's what we want them to do. He goes right out of the bat. We want them to slow down and stop and relax and be calm and breathe. Their mind is going 100 mile an hour and we want to back it off. We want them just slow down, be still, relax. And I looked across the lunch table with him and I said, you got to be kidding me. You make all that money, and that's the best you can come up with that? That's a, I could do that, and I don't know nothing what you know. I could tell somebody, just calm down. Where's your 200 bucks, okay? Is that all you say? And then as I read multiple sources after that, I found that that is the clinical way of helping anybody in the midst of anxiety. Slow down, be silent, meditate, Close your eyes, breathe. And that's what you're told by therapists. Now, here's why I even mentioned that to you today, is because when I, when I came to preach, I'm not all that concerned about what happens in those settings. I'm really, as a Bible teacher, want to know what the Bible says to do. And you know what the Bible says to do when you're anxious? <laughs> Slow down. Calm down. Be silent, be still, breathe. And the way Paul did it was he put some teeth to it. To get all by yourself, calm down, and just tell God what you need. It's there. And one of the difficult things about anxiety is you're just running all over and bouncing off the walls and worried about this and that, and you don't know what to do, and somebody needs to tie you up and just say, stop for a minute. And Paul says, quietly tell him what you need. Now, you might remember the familiar words of Psalm 4610, be what? Still and know that I am God. You might be one of the millions of people who watched last Monday night when um, the football player DeMar Hamlin of the Bills collapsed in football game. They did CPR and, and uh, brought his heart back to, to function. And the good news today, he's doing a lot better. If you've heard that, that's been great news. And if you're watching that, a lot of people were... Um, Kind of the challenge for the network that was showing that, that game is now they've got all this time they're going to fill. What are they going to do now? The game was going to happen. And if you watched that, you saw their, their sports analyst on ESPN. I mean, they were just talking about it and everybody just freaking out and they're bringing in guests and they're just going, you know, crazy and figuring out what well, they did a great job and they've just gone on and on and on. And you can tell everybody just stressed over what happened. They thought one of their comrades had died out on the field. And there was a, an analyst by the name of Dan... 
Orlovsky, and he works for ESPN, used to play football, and some of you might have seen this episode where he was talking uh, that night on ESPN, and, and now he's an analyst, and so he's talking about football, and, and this guy says, hey, we're all talking about this, but I just think somebody's got to do it. I don't know if we're supposed to do it, but I just feel that we need to do it, and right there to the surprise that I'm sure of producers and cameramen and everybody, he said, we're just going to pray right now. And he prayed. Right there, he prayed. And I don't know if this dude knows God. I have no idea if he has a relationship with God. I don't know if he's ever prayed in all of his life, but it was one of the most honest prayers I think I've ever heard. He said, God, we are confused and we're angry and we don't know why it happened. We just need you to heal our brother. We just need you to heal our brother. We just need you to help this family. And if you watched it, there were three people around that table and Dan was one of them. And when they all said amen, you could see it in the screen, a calm. So you ask yourself and you be honest about it. When you get really anxious, when you're really fretting and the chest is beating and your head hurts and you're sick to your stomach and you're worried about whatever and you're just kind of, the pieces are just falling, you, you, you honestly say this, how long does it take you to slow down and be still and honestly pray? Let me show you the fourth anxiety management tool, and you're going to see a connection here that's pretty cool. It's called Savor the Power. Now, if you went back in the text, it's got another one of these sentences in there. You think, what, what is that there for? So, dude is in jail. Don't be anxious. You're like, what are you even talking about, dude? And then here, here's this phrase, and you think, that probably was supposed to be back here in Ezekiel or something. It says, the Lord is near. Right there, the Lord is near. And you think, what, what is that even talking about? Why is that even there? Now, to be honest with you, let me talk to you as a, as a Bible teacher for a second. To be totally honest with you, we don't know why it's there. We don't really know what he means. There's two possibilities, and there's very bright, intelligent, religious Bible scholars who land on both sides of this camp. Here's, here's one possibility is what he's saying is, and it makes a lot of sense, that he's talking about, hey, the Lord's coming back pretty quick, okay? The second coming is going to happen. It's near. It's going to happen. And that makes sense because five verses earlier, he was talking about the second coming of Jesus. So it's on his mind, okay? And so the Lord is near. What's that got to do with anxiety? Watch this, dude. When he comes, then the anxiety's gone, right? Okay? We don't have to worry about all the craziness. So that might be what it means is, hey, he's going to come and then it'll all be okay. That might be what he, what he means. Let me give you another thought on it. It may mean that Paul is reminding these people that you're going through some stuff right now and it's causing anxiety in your life. And Paul's saying, hey, I know, kind of know what you're talking about. I'm in jail. And you need to remember that God knows about it that God cares about it, 
and that God is walking right by your side while this is going on. God is near you in the middle of this. Now, let it get, let it get serious with you. Go ahead and be honest about it and think about whatever is causing you all your anxiety right now, whatever's kind of got you falling into pieces. Think about this, that right next to you is the God who created the world and not only knows what's going on, but cares for you. And when that gets down inside of you and you understand that the creator of the world is next to you, do you remember when John wrote, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? So when you realize my companion next to me is the creator of the world who knows what I'm dealing with and cares about it and has power to do something about it, what happens to your anxiety? Dude, you start walking a little around with a little bit of swagger now because you got some power next to you. So is Paul trying to say that, uh, hey, he's coming again, and when he comes again, it's all going to be all right, so hang in there. Maybe. I don't think so. I think he's saying, don't forget who is right near you. Now, let me tell you why that's important, and we're going to close this out. And um, this was big for me. Y'all know I, I try really, really hard when I study and learn and share maybe some things that God has shown me, you know, I, I really try hard to personalize it. So I don't give a whole lot of thought about, you know, how it's going to affect you. I really, what's this got to say about me? And so I, I started noticing this idea about verbalizing the request of, you know, get quiet, be alone. Calm down, stop for a minute, breathe, relax, and just talk to him. And I, I started realizing that, that that has a connection to this idea that he is near to me. And, and let me explain this. And I give, give credit to my daughter-in-law for teaching this to me. Um, Hannah, my... Um, wife and my oldest son taught this to me a number of years ago. In fact, I remember talking a little bit about it in a message with you. And I was sitting in their kitchen one time, and Hannah and I were there having a cup of coffee, and I noticed that she had this uh, chalkboard, and she'd written some things on chalkboard. And, and down at the end, she'd had this Bible verse. And I looked at the verse. I don't know if I'd ever read it. I probably had read it. It just didn't resonate with me. And it just kind of stuck me. I thought, oh, man, I, I never saw that before. And this is what she had written on her board from Psalm 116, verse 2. Uh, because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. And I just thought that was kind of cool, and it just kind of hit me. And I said, um, why did you put that there? And she told me something about why she put it there. And she said, have you ever looked at that really close? And I said, I, I don't think so. I, I don't remember that verse. And she said, you need to study it because it will rock your world. And that's all she said. And so when I got back home, I spent a little time and checked into that a little bit. And it, it appears, if you look at this, it, it appears that maybe God's deaf in one ear, okay? Look at it, okay? So we're, we're praying, we're asking him something, and so he turns an ear to hear because he can't hear an ear, all right? So you, you know anybody like that, okay? And that's what it appears that that's what it means. 
And that's not what it means, and that's why she said, you got to study, it could rock your world. The word turned his ear, particularly turned, does not really mean to turn anything. It, the word means to stretch. It means to bend down. Now, stay with me because this will blow your mind. So the promise of Psalm 116.2 is that when I call on him, when I slow down, and when I stop going crazy and just calm down and be still and honestly say, God, this, this is what's happening and this is what I need. And I'm, I might need you to take away what's causing the anxiety or the reality is most of the time it's not going to be taken away. You just got to help me get through it. And, and I'm honestly sharing that to the Father. And the promise of Psalm 116.2 is that the God of heaven bends down next to you and places his ear by your mouth. Now, I've never thought about that till this week. What is happening when he bends down? What is happening? He is getting what? Anybody know? Near. What do I do when I'm anxious? How do I deal with this? And I'm going to be talking this weekend to people whose marriages are one phone call from an attorney. And I'm going to be talking to people who have doctor appointments that they're regretting to attend. And I'm going to be talking to people who are scared to death of what's happening with their teenage kids. And the challenge of a man locked up in jail who doesn't know if he's going to be alive or dead in a week said, so just stop, man, stop. And talk to him. And he will bend down to get near you. And here's what I'd like to do before we leave. I want to pray that for you. I want to pray a generic prayer because I don't know your situations, but I want to, I want to pray as if I were your voice, asking God to pay attention to what's going on in your life, knowing that as I pray that for you, that he will stretch down to become near. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to sit right there, and I'm going to pray. And if you think this prayer needs to be for you, I just want you to stand up where you're at. You stand when I'm praying, and God will know that you stood. He knows what's going on. And if you feel like you're going to come up here and 
and get on one of these steps and bow or stand or you do what you ever want to do. But I just want to pray that God will be faithful to pay attention and to become near when we voice that to him. And if that applies, then you know what you can do for that. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our lives. Um, and sometimes life gets uh, really, really messy. But I thank you we're here. I thank you we're alive. But you know from those who are connected with me right now, you, you know who in this room is connected with this. But sometimes um, the messiness of life kind of gets us out of groove and gets us off rail. And sometimes God, we just don't know what to do. And so at the very least, would you come near us? And maybe by being near us, there will be, there will be a presence of your power that will enable us to stand and, and endure. Maybe the nearness of your presence will give us wisdom on do we go left, do we go right, what do we do here? But you know every situation that's happening in this room right now, you know. And my prayer is that we'll walk out of here with some tools that you will respond to. Please, please come near. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.